Hey friends, welcome to The Perfectionist Guide to Mothering. I'm your host, Andrea Fortenberry. This is a podcast about finding freedom from perfectionism to show up for the life God has for you. Mom life is messy, unpredictable, and just plain hard sometimes, but it's also amazing. I believe God uses it all to grow us into the women He wants us to be. We can't do motherhood on our own. We need God's help. We need wisdom from other moms. We need the encouragement of community. I hope you'll find all of that and more as you listen in. Welcome to episode 10 of The Perfectionist Guide to Mothering. Today, I'm doing a solo Q&A episode. I thought it would be fun to take your questions so that I can know what you are needing help with in this season and we can get to know each other better. Thank you so much to those of you who submitted questions. I received some about motherhood, marriage, the podcast, and the pressure of perfectionism. Without further ado, let's get started. Question number one, what is the most challenging thing as a parent? There are lots of challenging things as a parent, but I think a particular challenge I'm going to address is specifically for moms and how we are juggling all the things all the time. A few years ago, I asked my friend Liz, she's a an artist and a graphic designer. You can follow her on Instagram at Liz Taylor Creative. She's amazing. But I asked her to do a graphic illustration of what I was feeling as a mom at that time. And I will post it on Instagram with the graphic that I post for this particular episode of the podcast. I was just feeling frustrated and overwhelmed, and this image came to mind, and I asked Liz to capture it, and she did a beautiful job. It's a mom who's on a unicycle with two little monkeys on her back, her two little kiddos are the monkeys on her back, and she's juggling bottles and breakfast, laundry, her schedule, all while looking at her cell phone. There's a lot of stuff on the floor and a lot of stuff in the air, and she looks and feels overwhelmed and defeated by all of it. There's so much that we are responsible for as moms and so much for us to keep track of that inevitably we are going to drop some balls or some plates sometimes. And it's so important that we give ourselves grace to be imperfect and give ourselves grace to drop the things that really don't matter. One of those things that I'm trying to focus on dropping is constantly being distracted by my phone or by commitments that people ask me to do that I'd rather say no to. We need to be kind to ourselves by being true to our capacity and what we're able to do. We can be kind to ourselves by asking for help, by taking time away and having a break, and again, by saying no to things that aren't really important. I'd like to challenge all of us to make a list of priorities for our families and write down the values that you want your family to have. 
And if what you're juggling right now doesn't align with those things, then let those things go so that you're able to pick up what really matters to you as you raise your kids. We have to be intentional about the things that really matter. Life is full of seasons and things that maybe we can't or shouldn't do right now because our kids are in a certain phase or we're working and we don't have the time. But those things that we're saying no to right now, we may have more opportunities and more time to do them later on in a different season. Our kids only have one childhood. They only have one mom and we need to remember to say yes to the things that matter and no to the things that don't. Let's make the most of our time as moms and in this season with our kids and remember that it's okay to drop things sometimes. Let's just drop the things that really aren't that important. Second question, what advice would you give to a mom earlier in her motherhood journey? I feel like I could write a whole book about this, and Lord willing, I will. But what first comes to mind is that it's important to remember who you are, that you were you before you ever became a mother. It's so easy for us when we become a mom to place our entire identity in being a mom. Really, yes, being a mom is one part, it's a big part of who we are, but it's just one part. We need to remember the person that we were before and to continue to take care of her, to look out for her and be mindful of her. The thing is that no one else can do that for you. You have to do it for yourself. I, I would tell a mom earlier in her journey to not feel guilty for needing or wanting time away from your kids. Yes, you love them. Of course you love them. But needing a break doesn't mean that you don't love them. It helps you to be a better mom when you can get away to focus on yourself and to do things that make you happy and joyful and feel refreshed. Again, it's not selfish. It's actually in their best interest. Do you want your kids to have a mom who is joyful and refreshed and confident and secure? Or do you want your kids to have a mom who's always grouchy or tired or frustrated? We all want that to be that joyful mom, right? We all want our kids to have a joyful mom. And because we do, we need to do what will help us feel joyful and restored. Maybe sometimes that means you go get a manicure or a massage if you're able to, but it also is things that are deeper than that. Maybe it's also going to counseling. Maybe it's joining a Bible study or scheduling a regular dinner out with your husband or your girlfriends. Make time for those things regularly. Block it off like a doctor's appointment so that you won't miss it and it just becomes a regular part of your monthly routine. 
I also want moms to know that it's impossible to be a perfect mom. I struggled as a teenager and in my 20s with polycystic ovaries, and I had, this might be TMI, but I had irregular periods my whole life. And when I was um, late teens, early 20s, I had blood work at my doctor, and he said that he just didn't know if I would be able to have kids because of how my cycle was. And I was worried about that for a really long time because I really wanted to be a mom. And I'm so thankful that God made it possible. And when he did, I I took on this assumption that I needed to be the perfect mom because the odds had been stacked against me and I needed to show God how grateful I was that he made me a mom. So I needed to do a perfect job. And I set out with that as my mission. And I had all of these expectations and dreams of things that I would do with my kids. I would do crafts with them. I was going to bake with them. We would sit and read for long periods and we would play with Play-Doh. And when I did try those things, sometimes they went well and sometimes it was really, really fun and enjoyable. My kids did love sitting in my lap to let me read with them. But I also found a lot of times that I was really frustrated when they wouldn't listen or when the crafts and baking turned into such a mess. (laughs) I remember when Lila would want to play Play-Doh and she wanted to mix all of the the colors together. And I would have major anxiety and felt such a dilemma about I should, we shouldn't mix the Play-Doh colors, but she wants to, what do I do? (laughs) I had some anxiety about that. I was trying to be the perfect mom and to do everything the way I thought needed to be done. So moms, I want you to remember that there is no way to be a perfect mom and there's no way for us to produce perfect kids. That isn't the goal of parenting we are going to mess up as their moms. They are going to act like kids and kids test boundaries. They disobey. They make messes. So many messes. (laughs) Motherhood and raising children are imperfect processes. Is that a word? Processes? Is it processes? I digress. But when we exchange our mission of achieving perfection and instead adopt the mindset of trying to just do the best that we can, we can find so much joy and beauty in the messy, imperfect ways that motherhood often brings and and being a mom to to imperfect kids. I have a talk that I like to give to moms groups and I and I say that an imperfect mom plus her imperfect kids are a match made in heaven. God knew that you should be their mom and he knew the kids that he wanted you to have and just because neither of you are perfect doesn't mean that God didn't do it on purpose. He knows and he appointed you to be the mom of the kiddos that you have. So enjoy the process, enjoy the journey, and just drop perfectionism from being your goal. 
third question, is there anything you changed your opinion on or approach along the way in motherhood? I think there's a couple of things, but the main one I'm going to address is that I went into parenting with the desire to treat my kids exactly the same. I'm the older child of my family of origin, and I have a younger brother, and I, growing up, kept track of all the things he got to do earlier than I was able to do them, and I would complain to my parents about it. Like, I think one of them was that I got a trapper keeper in the third grade, and then he got a trapper keeper when he was in the second grade. Things like that. I just kept track. They were a big deal to me. And I vowed that I wasn't going to do that to my kids. But fast forward. And in some ways, I have repeated that cycle of letting my younger kiddo do things sooner than I let my daughter do because we're trying to do things as a family or things like that. Like one instance I can think of is like Star Wars movies, things like that. I do try to always make things as fair as possible for them, but I realize that sometimes things aren't going to always be equal. But what we try to do with our kiddos is that we try to highlight some of the privileges that my older child, that my daughter enjoys that her younger brother can't or doesn't. While we do often give her more responsibility, we also try to reward it accordingly. One example is with bedtime. A couple of years ago, the kids were on the same bedtime for a really long time. And then I think she was fourth grade. We decided to let her stay up half an hour earlier or half an hour later than her brother because she was older. And we tried to make it special and spend special time with her. So things like that. I've also realized and that for other reasons that you really can't treat your kids exactly the same. They have different personalities. They have different gifts, different interests, and different love languages. If you've not heard of love languages, I highly recommend that book, The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman, and I'll link it in the show notes. My daughter has never been big on physical touch. Even as a baby, like 10, 11, 12 months old, I would try to just sit her in my lap and snuggle me and she would stick her arm out and push me away and want to get down on the floor or be doing her own thing. She, this just wasn't the way that she really felt loved. She didn't want to be snuggled. But my son, on the other hand, he has always been all about the cuddles, which I love. So I've learned that I need to love my kids in the way that they receive it. And the premise of the Love Languages book is that we all speak different love languages. And if I'm speaking one language to my child who doesn't understand that language, we just miscommunicate is the premise. And it makes a lot of sense. It works in any relationship, but particularly with marriage and with your kiddos. I've also learned that when it comes to discipline, that you have to give consequences that are effective for that child. Again, it may not be the same or equal eye for an eye if if everyone's keeping track, but you have to give consequences that are effective for that child. The concept can be the same, like taking away something 
But what really affects one child may not affect the other child at all. So when my daughter was younger, she loved, she still does love reading, but she was always with her book at the table. She would take a book into the bathroom, book, you know, on the couch, all of these things. And sometimes it would be that the book would get taken away if she wasn't paying attention or she wasn't doing a chore she needed to do or that kind of thing. But for my son, that didn't matter so much for him. It's a video game or time on the iPad, things like that. So you have to learn that what really affects one child and what will be effective for them in consequences and discipline. So instead of trying to treat my kids exactly the same, I try to interact with them, to love them, and discipline them in ways that are effective for each of them individually. I also try to acknowledge and appreciate the special bonds between a mom and her daughter versus a mom and her son, or that special bond that my husband has with my daughter, and how he also has a special bond with our son that's different. God didn't design our relationships to be exactly the same, and we should celebrate that. That doesn't mean that we play favorites with our kids, that we regularly exclude one of them, or that we treat them one kind and the other unkind. It doesn't mean that at all, but it just means that we should enjoy our special bonds that we have with each member of our family and appreciate them. I learned a lot of this by trial and error, but it's worth that process to figuring out the best, the best methods of, again, interaction, love, and discipline with each of your kiddos. Question number four, what is your best encouragement to give a friend who wrestles with mom perfection pressure? The biggest encouragement I can give is to remind you that you are not alone. There are so many of us moms who desperately want to get this mom thing down perfectly. But one of the healthiest things I've learned we can do is to ask ourselves this question. Who told you that you had to be a perfect mom? When I asked myself that question, I realized I was the one who was putting the pressure on myself to be perfect. It wasn't coming from my husband. It wasn't coming from my kids. And it certainly wasn't coming from God. It was coming from me. Me and my insecurity, me and my desire to achieve, me and my desire to compare with other moms, whether that was my mom friends or women I saw online, or while I was out shopping at Target. I desperately wanted to know I was doing motherhood right. I wanted to please God who gave me the opportunity to be a mom. I didn't want to fail him or my kids. I'd also encourage you to talk to a trusted friend or to go to counseling to unwrap the perfectionism pressure that you put on yourself. I ended up going to counseling about five years ago after being frustrated with how frustrated I felt as a mom. My counselor helped me to process the past and to make important connections that helped me realize that in my life I had turned to perfectionism to create a sense of safety and security for myself. 
it was because I received validation from other people. I received their approval. Perfectionism was my coping mechanism, and I had never realized that before. It might be for you too, and it's important to figure out why. Going back to go forward in a healthy way is one of the best choices a mom can make. Lisa Turker says, bad moments don't make bad moms. When you have those bad mom moments, don't beat yourself up about it. Know that you are not the only mom who struggles. You're not the only one who feels like she doesn't have the strength or patience or perseverance to make it through the day or one more episode of your kid's favorite TV show. Social media might tell you otherwise, but we are all a hot mess on most days. It's normal that as a mom, you might, especially a mom of young kiddos, you might not get a shower every day. You might forget to brush your teeth. You will yell at your kids because they don't have their shoes or their clothes on when you need to leave. That is typical, but we often don't see those normal messy parts of life because who posts that on social media? Not a lot of people. Remember, you are not the only one who struggles. One of my favorite sections of the Bible is 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. And in these verses, Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I would tell my mom friend struggling with that pressure to be perfect to give yourself the gift of embracing your imperfection. Embrace being an imperfect mo- an imperfect mom, an imperfect woman who has to rely on God for her strength. And just like I read from 2 Corinthians 12, when we are weak, when we feel like we can't do it, Those are the moments where God shows up and gives us that supernatural strength to make it through that moment, to make it through that day. He is always there. He's our ever-present help in times of need. Question number five, how do you you ask your non-parent friends for help? We love to do so. I love this question. Thank you, Diana. I think sometimes we perfectionist moms are afraid to ask for help, so we don't. We don't want to impose on anyone. We don't want to appear weak because we should be able to do it on our own. We don't want anyone to go out of their way for us. But how often do we rob someone else of the joy of giving to us, of, of them being able to bless someone when we think like this? It's our pride 
that can prevent us from relationships and resources that will help us in our motherhood journey. We have to learn to let go of our pride and to, again, realize that asking for help or needing help are normal parts of the motherhood process. You've heard that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child, right? Well, part of that means that there are multiple people coming around surrounding your child as they grow because that's how it actually gets done. That's the best way that we can help our children is by raising them in community with other people. So friends, let's be bold. Let's ask for help. Let's invite our non-parent friends to be a part of our lives on a regular basis. Invite them over for dinner. Ask them to come hang out with your kids one afternoon when you have an appointment and the kids are home from school or wake up from their nap time. Let your non-parent friends be a part of your children's story. Kids need role, mo- role models other than just mom or dad in their lives. There, there will come a time when our kids think that they know better than us. Somehow that time is already approaching for me. And they won't take our advice, but they'll listen to someone else, even if they give them the exact same advice that we were giving. So inviting your non-parent friends to participate in your kids' lives gives them mentor figures that you approve of. It gives your friend the chance to be around kids and to invest in their lives. It's a total win-win for everyone. So step out, ask your non-parent friends to be a part of your village as you raise your kids. Number six, I have to say, I particularly love this question. How do you get your preteen to stop acting like one. (laughs) I can't really help you with that. I wish I could. I am in the same boat as I am raising a pre-teen as well. My daughter just turned 12. But I will share a couple of things that I am trying to do in this season of parenting a pre-teen. Here it goes. One, I'm expecting that She is just not going to be nice to me sometimes. It's just a little bit part of the process. But number two, which is the most important thing that I think is going to help us survive and thrive this season, is to not take it personally. There's so much going on in our preteens' body, in their mind, their hormones are ramping up, and women and we're women. We know that hormones affect us. Sometimes we just cry for no reason. Sometimes we're irritable and annoyed because of our cycle. And I have found that whether it's because of hormones or just the normal frustration of life, that I often take things out on the people that I love most because it feels safe to do that. Do you know what I mean? So our kids, our preteens are safe taking something out on us that has nothing to do with us because we are a safe place for them to land. Our kids aren't, again, navigating so much the hormones, cycles, if they're girls, navigating new social scenarios, whether that's at school, in friend groups, in sports. 
And so much of these things that are happening to them happens because their brains are changing so rapidly. My mom is currently getting her master's degree at Phoenix Seminary. You can listen to an episode that she and I recorded. It is episode two. But a few weeks ago, we were having a conversation about the moodiness of my daughter. (laughs) And I was just chatting with my mom, chatting with her about, was I moody? You know, what do you remember of when I was that age? And we were just reminiscing about that. And after we hung up, about a half hour later, my mom sent me a picture of her reading for her class, and it's from a textbook called Anatomy of the Soul by Dr. Kurt Thompson. And Dr. Thompson says that a lot of the changes that are going on in our adolescents' brains are similar to what was happening when they were infants, that these new neural networks are forming and reforming on a daily basis. And it was easier for us to see these changes going on when they were in, when they were babies because we could visually see that they were making new discoveries and that connections were taking place. We would play toy, you know, with certain toys with them, and we could see that they would understand that it's a different texture or that a toy would make noise or you know we could just kind of see some of the the things that they were grasping and understanding we knew then that they were their brains were rapidly growing and developing but with our preteens and adolescents these things are going on behind the scenes but we don't see these outward displays of the neural pathways growing and changing And I wanted to read some quotes directly from this section of the book that my mom sent me. So it says, the changing moods of teens can be attributed in no small part to this neuroplasticity in the context of a surging sea of sex and growth hormones that leaves them feeling confused and disoriented. Adults are often impatient with all the effects of that plasticity. What was God thinking? We conclude perhaps that he wasn't. In those moments of exasperation, remember that your children are not out to get you. They are simply doing the best they can to cope with having a much more fluid connection of neural connections than they had when they were 10. Life can seem to have lost clarity and be full of existential crises. Am I good looking enough? What dialect exactly do girls or boys speak? Will my friends still like me if I hang out with this other group of people? What if I don't get into the college of my choice? And he goes on to say, as you look back on your own adolescence, you may wonder, why did I get so worked up about that? Part of the answer is your brain was on the move. It was just so timely that my mom read that right after we had that conversation, and it just was really eye-opening and a good reminder to me of all that is going on in the brain of my preteen and why there are certain behaviors that come out. And like I said, I'm trying not to take it personally. When my daughter was a toddler, I did take it all very personally. I wondered what I was doing wrong when she would throw herself on the floor or she would look at me and tell me no when I told her to do something. I thought it was me, but it was really just her being a kid and learning to assert her her own will and her own desires. It was normal part of her growth process, but I thought 
I was doing something wrong. So now that she's a preteen, I'm expecting that sometimes she will be grouchy, she will be moody or irritated, and will pull away from me sometimes, which makes me sad. But I'm also expecting that sometimes she's going to cry because someone was rude or her computer's not working and she can't do her homework and she's feeling stressed. And I know in those times that she's going to come closer. When we research, when we read or ask other parents who are steps ahead of us for guidance, we can know a little bit more of what to expect in the next season with our kids and what what might be normal. And even if the behavior that is to come is not necessarily what we would like, just knowing that it's a typical part of the process can help us and can help us manage our expectations of them. We shouldn't tolerate disrespect or consistent rudeness or our kids demanding things of us, but we can at least know in part why and where their behavior is coming from. Question seven, what's the most challenging thing you've been through as a wife and how did you get through it? Two things came to mind in response to this question that aren't specific events, but rather specific challenging seasons that we went through. The first one is that I think, you know, first 10 years of marriage, neither of us realized that you both bring baggage into the marriage. You you really didn't realize that you had a lot of this. And it's, you know, things that have happened to each of you in the past, your own sin nature, your own struggle. And as you unpack that, as time goes on, it's often unplanned. It's often because the your baggage just kind of sets off something in each of you and you just you you didn't plan on it and it's not easy but processing those things together going through those things made us better it allowed my husband and I to see each other not as enemies of like oh you did this to me or oh when you do this you know it sets me off kind of thing and pointing fingers but it allowed each of us to see each other as fragile human beings which is what we all are with struggles with wounds from past experiences so while it was good to go through that together it wasn't easy necessarily to go through it at the time but the key was trusting in the lord and praying and just trusting that God would bring good from from the the bad things that had happened in the past or the things that we needed to process and work through. God brings good from all of it. He redeems all things, but it's not always easy as you unpack and heal from those things. The second season that I thought of that was really challenging for us was not spending time together. Probably like five, six years ago, we just hit a long season where we had not spent time together because my husband was extremely busy with his job. We were busy raising little kids. I was home full time with them. I was volunteering at church and 
room mom and Girl Scout leader and all of these different things. And we both had so much going on that we didn't take opportunities or make the time to spend together. And our relationship suffered from it. It wasn't until we stepped back to analyze what the true problem was and we saw how it just manifested through different symptoms, like just being annoyed with one another and keeping track of what the other person was doing or not doing and feeling bitter and those sorts of things. What helped us get through, and me specifically, get as a wife, get through both of these scenarios is forgiveness. It's not easy to forgive, but it's what Jesus calls us to do. When I acknowledge my own baggage, my own stubbornness, my own sin, I crave grace and forgiveness. And how can I not extend that to my husband when I need it so much? I've also realized that our enemy, Satan, is out for our marriages. And sometimes we don't like to think about the fact that we have an enemy or that the devil exists, but he does. And he likes to use any means necessary to destroy what should be united. And that that's particularly true with marriage. And I found that when we're in a difficult season, when my husband and I are arguing or just not getting along, when I stop and recognize that the true enemy is not my husband, that it's Satan, it gives me the desire, the strong desire to fight for our marriage and fight for my husband instead of giving the devil any kind of victory in, in our lives. Hope that's helpful. Number eight, what tips do you have for strengthening and prioritizing your marriage while parenting? I have a lot of little suggestions here, so I'll just give you what came to mind. So one is to get away together at least once a year, just the two of you. Spend time together. Like I shared in the previous question, for us, when we were not spending time together, that was when things were really hard and we were just annoyed and bitter at each other. So get away together at least once a year for a weekend. Get a family member to sit regularly for you for date nights. And maybe that's not every week. We've never been an every week date night schedule. It's just not been a reality for us. But a couple times a month, that's important. Every other week, make you know if you can make that work, do it. Or if you don't have family close by, swap with friends. We were in a season three or four years ago where we just talked to some of our friends and said, hey, we really need to get out more without our kids. Would you guys want to trade? And it was awesome. We we did it a couple times a month. It was so good for both of us as couples. It's good for you to be away from your kids and for them to be away from you. I know that some kids are more clingy than others when they're little, and that's hard. But it's important for your kids to know that your whole world does not revolve around them. And it's important for them to see you making time as a couple because your relationship is important. You were a family. You were a couple before you ever became their parents. And you need to maintain that relationship, make it a priority so that when the kids are grown up and gone, your relationship is still strong. It's important to let your kids see you being affectionate with your spouse, talking to each other, enjoying one another, 
when your kids get older and they constantly interrupt your conversation, I think it's great to let your kids know that they need to wait because you and dad are talking. One thing that my husband does regularly that I really appreciate is when my kids say or do something disrespectful to me, he will say something like, don't do that to my wife or don't speak that way to my wife. And and it reminds them that his relationship with me is a, is a priority and that he's going to require them to respect me as his wife and as their mom but i just love that he uses that that relationship my role as his wife as priority over being their mom and it just it shows me that or it shows our kids that a good husband and a good dad isn't going to let the kids walk all over his wife. So I enjoy that. I think the most crucial piece of advice I have on this one to strengthen and prioritize your marriage while parenting is to not keep track of who is doing more. I know that when my kids were younger, when they were little, I found myself doing this, my husband and I, and we found our other couple friends doing this too, especially because my husband was working outside the home. Lots of my friends' husbands were, you know, working and we were, the moms were staying at home and it was really easy for us to, to poke at the other person and kind of wish we were the other person. We would say things like, oh, it must be nice that you get to drive in a car to work all by yourself and you get to go out and talk to adults and go to lunch and things like that. But then, you know, it's easy for the husband to be like, oh, well, it's nice you get to sit at home and have all this free time and you're watching, you know, sitting on the couch watching Oprah and eating bonbons or whatever that stereotypical thought is. But that does happen. And when you do that, though, Nobody wins in that situation. Acknowledge that it's never going to be equal. It's not worth the effort of comparing. You are a team as a couple. And sometimes, like I said, that means one person's doing more in one area, but maybe the other person's doing more. It's important to remember that you are partners, that you're teammates, and appreciate what your spouse does for your family and for you, whatever amount or whatever percentage that is. And as teammates, it's good to sit down regularly and communicate and talk about if one person needs more support or if the other person needs to help pick up something that the other person just isn't getting to, to just communicate and ask each other for help. I recently gave a talk for a MOPS group that I love to give all about marriage and expectations. And one of the things that we sometimes expect of our husbands is that they can read our mind. And I'm here to tell you that they can't. God is the only person who can read your mind. So you have to communicate with your husband and he has to communicate with you. So don't keep track. Appreciate each other for what you each bring to the team and communicate if things need to be adjusted. Question nine, how do you stay connected to community in times of COVID? Interestingly, I have found that a lot of my community during COVID has been with online friends who don't live near me. COVID has created a whole lot of awkwardness 
in our society, right? Especially being in community with people in proximity to us because we're not sure if someone is okay meeting in person or if they if they want us to wear a mask or if they're comfortable. Like there was just especially I found like March, April, May, like nobody was sure what anybody was okay with because we were staying at home. We were told to stay home, all those things. So just a lot of awkwardness was created by COVID. And I think that's why a lot of us have turned to our online relationships for that community. It's been fun for me to get to know some of my online writer speaker friends through Instagram messages and following each other in that way. So I've appreciated that. Another way I've stayed connected to my friends who do live close by, but we maybe haven't seen each other, is through digital tools. I'm in a prayer group with two friends who are local, and we haven't seen each other in person since February, but we have regularly been messaging over Marco Polo and Voxer to just do check-ins. We've been reading through a section of the Bible together over the past couple of months. And we leave each other messages on Voxer to discuss. And then we are able to listen at our leisure, to respond at our leisure, because we all have had kids home and just our hands full, but we're still able to connect and be in community together. I also have another circle of friends that we were getting together kind of earlier on, but we did it in a parking lot. We each backed our cars in and just sat socially distanced and had some FaceTime, and it was amazing. We eventually felt comfortable, and we started meeting in person for dinner, and I've started doing that more and more over the past month or so with other friends in person, and it has been so good for the soul. We, I know that not everybody may feel comfortable with that right now. I know different states have different regulations going on, but if you are able to and you are comfortable, it's so good for us to have that face-to-face time with people. We were meant to be in community and it has so many blessings for us. I think there are a couple of keys to community, not just in a pandemic, but at any time. And one is carving out the time If we want community and relationships, we have to be willing to invest the time. And like I said, whether that's during a pandemic or if it's not, and if we aren't putting in the time to the community and relationships that we desire, we're not going to get those results that we want. I think the second step to to community is being the one to initiate. I am often the one to initiate with friends, and I sometimes get discouraged when people don't initiate with me. Sometimes I have a pity party to myself, but I realize I just need to get over myself and be the one to continue reaching out. Sometimes our friends are busy or they forget, or sometimes I think that our friends are just waiting for someone to initiate with them. And if we all sit around just waiting for someone to reach out, we may be waiting forever. So be the one to send the text or extend an invitation. Be the one to ask if your friend is willing to meet in person, if you're not sure about that. Clear communication is really important in creating community. And if you have friends who are the ones who usually initiate, say yes, make plans with them. Make your relationship a priority. And it would be great 
to take turns with inviting and initiating and creating opportunity to develop your community. Question 10 is about the podcast. How do you choose who you'd like to speak with on podcasts? Are you topic driven? So far, the way I have scheduled my podcast episodes are by inviting friends on that I know and that I've learned something from. I'm a very relational person, and so I have used that more as a model for my podcast than specific topics so far. But I do have a list of topics in a spreadsheet that I would love to have guests speak on, and I hope to do that for future episodes. If you have a specific topic or a guest recommendation, send it to me through a direct message on Instagram or Facebook and let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Here is our final question that I received from listeners, and it is, how do you stay positive in the most negative situations? I think this is a great question for this time in our history right? 2020 has brought a lot of negativity. I am generally a pretty positive person. I try to look on the bright side just as a general practice and how I view and see my world. But I have struggled over the years with anxiety and it would get worse in negative or stressful situations. Gosh, I can think back 10 years being up at night, like with a stomach ache and knots in my, you know, knots in my stomach and a headache because I just felt so anxious about things that I couldn't control, things that I wish I could control. And I would physically not feel well because I was so, so stressed and so full of anxiety. And I'm so thankful that God has brought me so far and anxiety does not cripple me like it was before. Praise the Lord. But what it's, but what has helped me have been several things, and I'll share that. So, staying, po- what helps me to stay positive is praying and relying on God's promises. Praying keeps us in relationship with God, it is healing and helpful to our souls. One of the best ways for me that I found that has been really helpful and cathartic is through writing my prayers. So I have a prayer journal and I just write a letter to God. If I were writing a letter to a friend, I just write a letter and say, dear God. And I, you know, talk to him that way. I list out my prayers and it's just so helpful to get it out of your heart and your head and out, whether you pray out loud or get it down on paper, it's just so helpful and healing. And it's been wonderful to look back at those prayers, whether it's months later or years later, and to see how God answered them. It's just really encouraging. And that helps me to stay positive. Knowing that God took care of me in the past gives me confidence and faith that he's going to take care of me in the future. Relying on God's promises, that is another thing that helps me to stay positive. And to rely on those promises, I have to know His promises, which means I need to be in the Word. And the more that you are in the Word, the more it gets in your heart and your head so that it will come to mind when you need it. And I wanted to share three verses that really encourage me when life is tough. 
The first is Romans 8.28 that says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. That verse reminds me that no matter what happens, that in all things, good and bad, God is working for our good when because we love him. And we have been called according to his purposes. He's not going to forget about us. He's not going to tell us to do something that he's not going to help us be able to do. He's always with us working in all things. The next verse that helps me to stay positive is Philippians 4, 6. It says, do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I often will recite that verse to myself. Another translation says, be anxious for nothing. Just reminding that because we belong to God, we don't need to worry. Even when things are negative, when they are dark, when the world is going crazy, we can have a peace that is supernatural, that that is beyond understanding because it's from God. We can pray to him. We can petition him for things. We can present our requests to him and he will exchange those things that are heavy on our hearts for peace. And that is so comforting and so, so encouraging. The next verse is James 1, 2 through 5, which says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to him. That's a verse that we can cling to in this year that has been so unprecedented, who is, that has been so full of uncertainty, that we can consider it pure joy when we face trials in our lives, when we face negativity, when we face hard things, because God is developing perseverance in us. And we can't be mature or complete without perseverance. We can't know how to get through hard things until we go through hard things. And in the process, if we are lacking wisdom, if we don't understand why or how to get through it, God, who is so generous to us, is going to give it to us when we ask him. We can rely on him when we're in a dark place, when we are facing negative situations. Part of recalling God's promises and relying on them also means that we read Bible stories of other people who faced challenging situations but came out on the other side better. I was sharing with my son a few weeks ago about Joseph, my brother, my brother, my son was just sharing about how, you know, he, life is hard and he doesn't like wearing a mask and he wishes he could see his friends all the time and all of these things. And he was feeling really defeated and discouraged about his life. And I reminded him of Joseph, of how Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, how he went to a far off land, how he was thrown in prison and you know, he hadn't done anything wrong and 
all of these difficulties that he faced, but God used it to bring Joseph to a place of leadership, to save his country, to save other people, to save his family and be reconciled to them. It's an amazing story. And in the end, Joseph says that, you know, to his brothers, he reminds them that what they intended for, for his detriment that God actually used for good, for the saving of many lives. So reading about people like Joseph, Moses, Esther, it encourages me and it shows me that trials are part of how God grows us and how he grows our faith and our testimony. So when it's hard to feel positive in a negative situation, we can still choose it by praying and relying on God's promises. Although I've been answering lots of questions this episode, I will go ahead and give some quick answers to the normal questions I answer at the end of every episode. So the first one is recommendations for what I'm reading, watching, or listening to these days. I just finished reading a book by Jackie Velasquez called When God Rescripts Your Life. She is a Christian artist. She was a teenager when she started and was popular in the late 90s. And I listened to her music, went to her concert. So it was fun to read her story. I am also reading Standing Strong by Allie Worthington, who you know from the last episode of the podcast. Her book is so good. I'm participating in her launch team. So I have a access to it ahead of time. And I know you're going to love it. It is when this episode airs, it will be September 23rd and the book comes out on the 29th. So if you have not pre-ordered the book, I highly recommend it because Allie is giving away lots of free gifts when you pre-order the book. So you can pre-order wherever you buy books and then go to her website, allieworthington.com to claim your free gifts. I'm still watching The Great British Baking Show. There are seven collections and I am on, or seasons, and I'm on the very last one, but I saw that later this week, a new collection, new season is coming out. So I'm excited about that. And something I'm listening to these days that I am loving is a new artist that I found through my boss at Mops. Her son, Spencer Crandall, is a country artist. He has some great music and the song of his that I am loving right now. I've, I'm one of those people that I put songs on repeat. So I have been listening to it on repeat. It's just super upbeat, fun song. It's called Good Thing. And it just talks about how sometimes the plans that we have in life that didn't work out were, were good things because God had something even better in store. So I'm loving that song right now. I'll link it in the show notes for you. Next question, what is your best soul or self-care tip for moms? This week, it's a practical self-care tip, and that is to stretch. I remember when my son was just a couple months old, gosh, he was probably two months old, that my shoulder popped like I pulled something and totally just hyperextended or overdid it. And I had to go, I had like impingement. I wasn't able to move my shoulder, have that full range of motion. I had to go to physical therapy and take 
extra doses of ibuprofen to get the inflammation down. I was icing all of these extra things. And it turns out I had ended up going for a massage and the massage therapist said, your chest muscles are so tight from holding that baby in the carrier and all those things that that is what caused you to pull that shoulder muscle. And then a few years later, I was experiencing tingling in my hands. Like in the middle of the night, I would wake up and I like what woke me up was that my hands were numb and I had to stretch and like shake them out. But it was waking me up every night for several months and it was really annoying. But I also was worried, like, is there something neurological going on? I have no idea. Again, went for a massage. The massage therapist said, your chest is so tight, you need to stretch. And she told me some stretches to do. And I don't have that issue on a regular basis anymore. If I do, I know what I need to do. But I try to make it part of my nightly routine that I stretch my chest for several minutes every night to prevent that from happening. I also like to foam roll. And it's funny, I was joking with a friend who turned 30 a year or two ago that welcome to your 30s. These are the things you have to do like all the time every day just for normal maintenance. But we feel so much better when we do, and it's good for us. So use pockets of time that you have for quick stretches. It doesn't have to be like a 30-minute yoga session, but are you in your car at a red light? Like I will take that time to put my stretch my arm out on the back of the seat next to me and just pull my shoulder out a little bit to stretch it, stretch out my chest. Um, if you're waiting in line somewhere, you can do some calf stretches, just different things. Might look funny. Who cares? It's good for your body. <laughs> Next question, last question is, what is God teaching me in this season? I feel like I'm always learning about adjusting, about flexibility and time management. And that is something I'm going through again in this season. One constant in this life is change, and just when I feel like I've got a system down, something changes. And in our family, we are experiencing some great changes right now. Our kids are back to school in person. They have been for about three weeks, although they'll be off for the next two weeks after this for fall break. So again, just some adjustments and change, but they're back in school, and we're so thankful for that. And then I'm excited to share that I just started a new position on the staff with Mops International as an executive leadership coach. God brought about this opportunity as only he could, and I'm just still so in awe about it and thankful that I get to be a part of Mops staff. So I am figuring out a rhythm for my kids' school schedules. One of them goes in an hour earlier and the other one goes in an hour later, but she gets out an hour later. So figuring out a rhythm for that and my, you know, helping them get ready in the mornings and then getting home in the afternoon for my Mops work, for podcasting, for interning with Allie Worthington and working on my own content. So I have quite a few things going on at this juncture and I I'm loving it and I'm just trying to create a system for that. I'm also learning to try to put my phone down more to make time for being productive and focused on my work. I'm trying to put my phone down more to experience true rest and relaxation and things I enjoy like reading and coloring. And I found that when I try to do those things and I'm also distracted, like being on the phone simultaneously, like you're not really focused on any one thing. You're not enjoying it to the full amount that you could when your attention is split. So I'm trying to 
put the phone away and be present where I am. In order to say yes to something, we have to say no to something else. So I'm trying to say no more often with my phone so that I can focus on what is right in front of me. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode. It has been so fun to answer your questions and connect with you in this way. And I will catch you next time. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Would you do me a favor and help me get the word out about the Perfectionist Guide to Mothering? I'd be so appreciative if as you listen, you take a screenshot, post it to social media, and tag me. You can also rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening so that other moms can find it. Looking forward to being with you next time.